Well, good morning again. So glad that you are here. Well, as I indicated earlier, this morning we're continuing walking through our David sermon series. So if you're visiting with us this morning, we've been in a sermon series now for a number of weeks called David, a man after God's own heart. Over the past few weeks, we've seen our giant slaying shepherd boy go from a national war hero to a man on the run. Two weeks ago, we looked at how David lost everything he cherished in his life. Every critical relationship in his life was gone in an instant. It would be um, from that point that he would really hit rock bottom, and he would become a cave dweller. And we, we remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at how David would rise up out of that cave of despair, and he would begin to live again. He would be surrounded by his family. He would be surrounded by um, some, some people within the land, not the greatest of people that, if you remember, but it was the, the kind of the desolate that came to his aid. Those who were in debt, those who were in despair, those who were running themselves from the king. And so all of these men would come and rally around David. And from there, David would begin to rise from the ashes of despair. Here's what I want us to remember as we study the life of David. David was God's man, and he would be used of God to return Israel back to the heart of God. But remember, though, David was not perfect. David made many, many mistakes. David, though, was a man who had been saved by God's glorious grace, as I pray all of us in this room have. You know, let me ask you a question. Do you ever give yourself an attaboy? Have you ever given yourself an attaboy, giving yourself kind of a pat on your own back? You know, every once in a while, I think to myself, man, I got that right. Doesn't happen real often, but I think to myself, man, I got that right. I did the right thing. I said the right thing. I acted in the right way. But then soon after, I, I realized that I, I did the wrong thing. I said the wrong thing. And I acted out in the wrong way. Scripture is full of such men, right? You know, think about some of those men. Think about Peter. Man, Peter was the rock, right? Peter had some great attaboy moments in his life. One of those uh, occurred whenever Jesus um, had all of the disciples gathered around him. And he asked him, who do people say that I am? And Peter, he said, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And immediately, Peter gets an attaboy, doesn't he? Well, just moments after that attaboy, you remember what Jesus told Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. So he goes from an attaboy moment to all of a sudden kind of putting his foot in his mouth because of what he said. When I think about David, I think about such a man. David got many attaboys in his life, but he also got many more, it seems like, as we read through this and study his life. He, there was many more moments when there's like, David, what were you thinking? David will go from an attaboy moment in 1 Samuel 24 to uh, a one, uh, we're looking at 1 Samuel 25 this morning to a, what were you thinking? In 1 Samuel 24, David had the opportunity to kill King Saul. And, and, and with that, you remember, King Saul was out to kill David. 
David is a fugitive on the run because King Saul is trying to kill him. He's got his men that are trying to chase him down, the servants, soldiers, everybody's trying to get after, after David. So David has this moment where he could have killed the king, but he didn't kill him. And, and, and why didn't he kill him? Because immediately with the death of Saul, David would become the king of Israel. He didn't kill him because David was a just man. He was a righteous man. He knew that when God declared it was time for him to assume the throne, he would assume the throne. He wasn't going to act out of his own kind of selfish desire. He was going to let God act in his timing. How many times do do you force something to happen when the timing is not right? If you're like me, it's way too often. Luckily, in our store in 1 Samuel 24, David didn't force something to happen. But understand this, David would go from doing the right thing in 1 Samuel 24 to preparing to do the wrong thing in 1 Samuel 25. Our our message point this morning is this, there is a right way and a wrong way to deal with people. There's a right way and a wrong way to deal with people. So our first point this morning is this, the meaning behind the name. In 1 Samuel chapter 25, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 8 together this morning um, to start with. But this is what God's Word says. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me there. We also have the words here on the screen. But, but 1 Samuel chapter 25, beginning in verse 1, we read these words. Now Samuel died, and all Israel symbol mourned for him, and they buried him in the house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goat. He was wearing his sheep in Carmel, or he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing the sheep. So David sent ten young men. And David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you and peace be to your house and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us and we did them no harm. And they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. And ask your young men and they will tell you. Therefore let my young men find favor in your eyes for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your sons, David. So David is living in the wilderness of Judah now, okay? Um, He has been fighting against the Philistines, and he has also been providing protection for families like Nabal. And I'm sure there were some other families that he and his men were providing protection for. But David is not the king yet, but he is the king in waiting. One writer said this, The custom of the day was when a lord would be in an area, he would protect the farmers and shepherds in that area. David's men provided that kind of shelter for Nabal and Abigail. Their presence meant that shepherds would be safe and their flocks would not be plundered. In exchange for this protection at harvest time, the protecting army would receive provisions. So David has sent some of his men to Nabal to collect payment for services rendered. You know you can, you, you can learn a lot about a person just by their name, right? Be, names have meaning, okay? 
in the Old Testament especially, or in biblical times, names really meant something. People were given names that represented who they are, or they would be given a meaning for their name based upon the person that they were. So the first person that we see in our scripture this morning is a man by the name of Nabal. Nabal, right off the bat, we learned something critical about this man. We know that he was a very rich man. In verse 2, we read, And there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was not just rich, but he would probably be described today as a filthy, rich man. And in verse 3, we are told something very, very telling about this man. We are told that Nabal was harsh and badly behaved. Some of his servants will call him a worthless man. His own wife will refer to him in this passage of Scripture as a worthless man. The name Nabal means fool. You know the problem is you when those you care the most about call you worthless or a fool, right? That was the kind of man that Nabal was. Nabal's name means fool, but that does not mean that Nabal was a simple-minded or an unintelligent person. A fool in the Bible was a person that declared that there is no God. Nabal was an unbeliever. And this unbelieving man was not a generous man, but a cruel, harsh, bitter man. Man, I think all of us have known people like that. In Isaiah 32, 6, God's word gives us a good description of people like Nabal. It says, For the fool speaks folly, and his heart is busy with iniquity, to practice ungodliness, to utter error concerning the Lord, to leave the craving of the hungry unsatisfied, and to deprive the thirsty of drink. That is exactly what Nabal is doing here. Okay? He has a responsibility to care for David and his men because David and his men have been caring for Nabal, his servants, his shepherds, and his household. Nabal was concerned about two things. He was concerned about himself, and he was concerned about his resources. I think all of us know people like that, right? Selfish people that are looking out for number one and number one only and no one else. That was Nabal. Then we have another person in our scripture, the name Abigail. In 1 Samuel 24:5-3, we are told that Abigail was a woman who was discerning and beautiful. She was the polar, polar opposite of Nabal. Scripture says that she was discerning and beautiful. Abigail was a God-fearing believer. And we will see this time and time again throughout 1 Samuel 25. Her name means this, the delight of her father. I can just imagine that whenever Abigail was born and her father took one look at her, he probably said, that is the delight of my heart. How many of you named your children like that? Man, they're born, you take one look at them, and you're like, your name means this. Most of us in here didn't. I know that whenever Connor and Caitlin, um, they basically received their names because Danny, she named them, um, went through baby book after baby book looking for the names that sounded the best. 
Okay? We didn't really look at inherent meanings. We didn't really look into what does this mean biblically. We looked for a name that sounded good. And we, Christopher Connor Womack and Caitlin Lee Womack. And let me tell you when their name sounds the best. It's when they're getting in trouble. When I say Christopher Connor Womack, get over here. Or Caitlin Lee Womack, get over here. Some of you named your kids like that as well. But that isn't the kind of name that Abigail received. She received a name because her father took a look at her and said, she is the delight of my heart. So how did Abigail end up with a creep like Nabal? You can be sure that it had nothing to do with love and everything to do with, with, with um, monetary things. The, this father, Abigail's father, wanted his daughter to have the very best, as all of us want of our children, to have the very best. But this father wanted her, his daughter to have security, to have wealth, to have position, to have power, and to have comfort. And she received all of those sayings when she married Nabal. You may be thinking to yourself, well, what about love? Isn't love important? Shouldn't love be the number one reason that a person gets married? Well, today, most of the time, that's why somebody gets married. But back in biblical days, and even in parts of the world today, marriages are arranged. And so there is sometimes a monetary exchange that happens. And if you can give enough, you can get this man or you can get this woman or however it worked. Well, um, within this marriage, it was a, an arranged marriage. So Abigail didn't choose Nabal. Nabal may have cho chosen Abigail, but Abigail didn't choose Nabal. Notice our next point here this morning. It is this. Notice David's anger. Okay, remember all right, there's a right way and a wrong way to deal with people. David chooses the wrong way. Abigail in a minute will choose the right way. But first we have David here. In 1 Samuel 25, verses 9 through 13, we read these words. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David. And then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I don't know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all of this. Then David said to his men, every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David while 200 remained with the baggage. David's men tell Nabal what David had instructed them to say. And notice what Nabal, how he responds. He is like, who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? I want you to know right now that, that Nabal knew exactly who David was. Okay, he would have heard story after story of how David defeated Goliath. He would have heard story after story of how David was a great warrior for, for, for the nation of Israel. He would have known everything about David as well as that he was from, the, from, from um, Jesse, the son of Jesse. And here's what is happening here. Nabal is insulting David. He refers to him as a servant of Saul. 
who had broken away from his master. So basically, he is saying that David is a worthless servant of King Saul's. He is broken away from, from the king, and he's out being his own man. He's, he, he, he's kind of um, has, has risen up an insurrection against the king, and that's who he is describing him as here. But when David's men return empty-handed and report to him what Nabal had said, he immediately tells 400 of his men to strap on their sword. David straps on his sword. And basically what he's telling his men is we're going to war. We're going to rule war against Nabal. He doesn't say we're going to war against the Philistines. We don't get an impression that he's going to war against man after man after man. But he's out for one man, Nabal. What do you think? You think he may have overreacted just a little bit there? Here's the deal. David is most likely hangry here. Okay, you know what a hangry person is, right? That's a person that is both angry and hungry. That is David. You know, uh, I, I don't know about you, but they don't show these as much as they used to. But I remember um, the Snickers commercials that came out. And, and with these commercials, there would be um, usually either an angry person that was a part of the commercial or somebody that was very, very lethargic that was in the commercial. And I remember several years ago, there was one of these um, that had Betty White in it. And the scene sets up like this. There's two groups of grown men, and they're out playing football. Football. The ball is snapped and both men go out and attack each other. And as these men are attacking each other, you see Betty White, this 90-plus-year-old woman that can barely move. And she's going out for a pass. And the ball is thrown, and right before she catches that ball, there is a man that just lays her out. I mean, hits her so hard that she is just driven into the ground, into a, to, to, into a puddle of mud. And then the next scene, you see them inside of the huddle. And the quarterback says, Mike, what is your deal? And Betty says, man, you have been riding me all day. And one of the other players offers up a snide remark and says, you're playing like Betty White out there. At which time she spouts off something back at him. And the next scene shows Mike's girlfriend coming to the aid of Betty White. She says, as she offers him a Snickers, baby, try this. And Betty takes a bite of that Snickers, and in an instant she goes from Betty White back to Mike. And the girlfriend asked, better? To which he replied, better. And the commercial concludes with these words, you are not you when you are hungry. So David is not himself. He's not thinking rationally. He's not acting rationally. I'm sure that David is thinking to himself, man, these men have gone and they're going to collect some vittles. Man, they're going to come back and they're going to have some lamb chops for me. They're going to have some bread for me. They're going to have all kinds of vegetables for me. And we're going to have a feast tonight. Well, those men show up empty-handed. And David, being the hungry man that he was, overreacts and says, strap on your sword and let's go to war. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you ever overreact to a situation? I do sometimes. More often than I like. That, that sleeping giant within me rises to the top comes out, and it's not a pretty sight. And ultimately, that is what is happening 
with David. David is acting out of his flesh instead of his spirit. David, yes, is a man after God's own heart. Scripture makes that clear. But however, this man after God's own heart is also a very inconsistent man. As we've walked through David's life, we see inconsistency after inconsistency after inconsistency with him. One writer the, um, in his book, Alan Redpath, in The Making of the Man, wrote these words. He said, David, David, what is wrong with you? Why one of the most, why one of the most wonderful things we have learned about you recently is your patient, patience with Saul. You learned to wait upon the Lord. You refuse to lift your hand to touch the Lord's anointed, although he has been your enemy for so many years. But now look at you. Your self-restraint has gone to pieces, and a few insulting words from a fool of a man like Nabal has you seeing red. David, what is the matter? Just as David was inconsistent before God, before his men, and before the people of the land. You and I can be inconsistent as well, can't we? I know I can be. Man, I act as a man demonstrating faith one moment, and then I act as if I'm a man of the world the next. And that's what we see with David. We see this great man of faith acting like a man of God, and then the next man, minute we see this inconsistent man acting like the world. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, all of us have been there. Notice our, our third point is this, Abigail's wisdom. So Abigail would respond in the right way. You and I need to cherish women in our lives, don't we? We need to cherish our moms. We need to cherish our wives. We need to cherish the women that God has given us. I came across this illustration about women in Kuwait prior to the first Gulf War. It says, several years before the first Gulf War, Barbara Walters did a story on gender roles in Kuwait. She observed that women traditionally followed about 10 feet behind their husbands. And, 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 and Walters observed that, but after the Gulf War, she went back to Kuwait and she noticed something remarkably different. She noticed women were leading, and men were following about 10 yards behind the women. And so um, Barbara Walters, being the investigative reporter that she is, she went up to one of these ladies and says, this is absolute remarkable. How did the roles get switched around? And one of those women looked at Barbara Walters and said, landmines. Some men treasure the women in their lives, while other men treat them harshly. Nabal treated his wife harshly. Nabal treated other people harshly. Yet even though he was that kind of man, that did not mean that Abigail had to become like her husband. We see a woman in Abigail who loved God and feared God and did what was right in the eyes of God. Here's what happens next. One of um, Nabal's men comes to Abigail and reports to Abigail what David and his men are about to do. He, he reports everything that has happened, and he said that David and his men, they're on his their way right now, basically to take care of Nabal. 
The handwriting was on the wall. David and his 400 men were on their way to destroy Nabal. And Abigail, being the virtuous woman she is, tries to defuse the situation. She was going to meet David's greatest need, his growling stomach. All of us have heard the saying, all good women know the way to a man's heart is through his stomach, right? Well, that is exactly what Abigail is about to do. It's about to meet David's greatest need. And we read in 1 Samuel 25, verse 18, we read what Abigail does next, okay? She takes 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five prepared sheep, five seas of parched grain, which represents about 10 dry gallons of grain, a hundred clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs. She gathers all this up and takes it to David to try to diffuse the situation. Think about that for just a second. What kind of a person has 200 loaves of bread lying around their house? Okay, that's more loaves of bread than the local Walmart is going to have. Probably Walmart and Kroger together. You know what kind of a person has that kind of stuff laying around their house? A rich person. Abigail was rich. Nabal was rich. You know what Abigail does? Abigail does what Nabal should have. She takes of their bounty and gives it to David for the protection he had provided their family. Notice, Abigail responded. David reacted. How many of you in this room are responders? Raise your hand if you're more like Abigail. Nobody. All right? Raise your hand if you're more like David and you are a reactor. We need Abigails in our lives, don't we? We need responders who are going to come and help diffuse the situation. Because obviously in this room, there's way too many Davids. All right, there's way too many reactors in this room. When, 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 when you kind of push and push too much and too hard, we're going to react, right? And that is never a good thing. Notice what happens next. In 1 Samuel chapter 25, verses 23 through 26, we read these words. When Abigail saw David... She hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. Notice what Abigail does. Abigail falls on her face before David and pleads for mercy for her husband. I don't think that she pled for mercy because she loved her husband Nabal. I think that everything that Abigail is doing on this day is protecting David. She is protecting David and helping him not to overreact. 
Overreacting would be David pulling his sword and killing Nabal. That would be an overreaction. Abigail knew who David was. She knew that he was a God-fearing man. She knew that he was the future king of Israel. And she wanted to make sure that when David assumed the throne and began to lead the people, that he was able to do that with a clear conscience, a clear mind, and a right heart. Abigail on this day allowed the Lord to use her to intervene on his behalf. She talked an angry man out of doing something he would later regret. And notice how David responds to her. In verse 32, we read, And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Translated, thank you for helping me not to overreact. Thank you, thank you for helping diffuse the situation. Here's the deal. Just because someone does an injustice against us, that does not mean that we should do an injustice against them. I think all of us in this room have been done wrong. All of us in this room have been stabbed in the back. All of us in this room have probably had people speak untruths about us. And our initial reaction is we want to defend ourselves. Man, we want to get back at that person that has done us wrong. That's what David is trying to do on this day. But Abigail steps in and helps diffuse that situation. Our flesh tells us to respond like David, but God's Word instructs us to respond like Abigail, right? Notice our final point this morning is this, God's justice. You've heard it before, but it's true. But God, God will always get his man, won't he? Notice verses 36 through 38. We read these words. Abigail would go back and tell her husband all that she had done. And we read these words. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry with him, for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning light. In the morning when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became as stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. Nabal was, a, was not a good man. He clearly treated people wrongly. He treated David harshly. He treated his servants harshly. He treated his wife harshly. Had he not treated them poorly, they probably wouldn't describe him as a worthless man. But he treated people poorly. His punishment seems harsh, but his punishment was death. We are told in Scripture that for the wages of sin is death. Our sin condemns us to a life of eternal separation from God. Nabal would die a physical death. And I'm pretty certain that he probably died a spiritual death as well. But that does not have to be us in this room. That does not have to be you. Your sin does not have to condemn you to an eternal separation from God in a place called hell. 
The Bible makes it clear that if we place our faith in Jesus, having repented of our sins and cry out to Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of our lives, we shall be saved. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our sin condemns us, but the gift of Christ, when we place our faith in him, is eternal life. David would praise the Lord for keeping him from doing evil to Nabal. In 1 Samuel 25, 39, we read these words. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. You see what David is doing there? He's thanking the Lord for keeping him from doing the wrong thing. The Lord used Abigail to help him Keep him from doing the right thing, wrong thing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. In our story this morning has a happy ending. David and Abigail um, marry, and I don't know how much bliss they had, but they did marry. And for a moment, this story has a happy ending. This morning, by way of application, when conflicts come, and they will come, Let's learn not to overreact. In Proverbs 15.1, we read, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's a verse that I need to constantly repeat over and over, as some of you do as well. May that become a scripture that just radiates within us. We also need to choose our words wisely. In Colossians 4, 6, we read, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's not be people that overreact and do harsh things and say harsh words. We also need to surround ourselves with Abigail's, people that love the Lord and are quick to act as the Lord leads. Young men, find an Abigail to marry. Young women, be an Abigail. Let us seek to be the men and women that respond without haste. Let us be people that demonstrate Christ's love toward others. Someone once said, think twice before speaking once. Think twice before speaking once. I think once and speak twice usually. You know, I, I love this story. I love how God always brings the right people into our life to help us. My wife by far is an Abigail. By far. There have been hundreds of times over the course of our lifetime that she has helped diffuse a situation. I'm grateful for my Abigail, as I know many of you in this room are grateful for your Abigails as well. Let's be people that do not overreact, but people that demonstrate Christ's love 24-7. You may be here this morning, and you don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you were to die today, you don't know where you'd spend eternity. You don't know if you'd spend eternity in heaven or hell. I want you to know this morning that you can know for certain where you would spend eternity. You can know with absolute certainty where you would spend eternity if you were to die today. And that you can know by this. If you are a sinner, which we all are, 
and you haven't repented of your sins and asked Jesus to forgive you of those sins, you need to do that. And once you've asked Christ to forgive you of those sins, you cry out to Jesus and you ask him to be the Lord and Savior of your life and you make a commitment that you are going to live your life for him. Are you going to make mistakes like David made mistakes? Yeah. Are you going to mess up probably every single day like I do? Absolutely. But we serve a God who is a gracious God that forgives us and restores us and gives us a new, brand new day. There were a lot of days that David probably wanted to forget about, but every single day he would be given a new morning and a new day that he could serve the Lord. There are days that we want to forget in our lives as well. We just wish that it would just go away. But the good news is this, there's a new day and a new morning that we can represent Christ. You may be here this morning and, and you've been visiting this church a while and the Lord's leading you to make friendship your church home. You may be here this morning, you need to just come to this altar and just kneel down and just, and just pray to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me. I'm more like David than I am Abigail. You may be a young man in this room and you, you need to pray beginning now, if you haven't already, for God to bring an Abigail into your life. You may be a young woman in this room and, and you are looking for role models in your life. Abigail would be a good role model, a good person for you to, to, to become like. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And if there's a decision you need to make, you come. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. Thank you for your word. Thank you for stories like David and Nabal, and Abigail. Thank you for just a picture of, of how we should respond and how we shouldn't respond. Thank you for the picture of how we can intercede on other people's behalf by helping them to do the right thing and say the right thing. We can be your hands and your feet to help diffuse a situation, a volatile situation. Father, I just pray this morning that all of us in this room will, will demonstrate more Abigail um, characteristics in our lives when it comes to responding to an angry man than um, being like David who responded as an angry, angry man. Father, I pray this morning that if there is someone here that has yet to receive you as their Lord and Savior, that today they will place their faith and trust in you and they'll cry out to you to be the Lord and Savior of their lives. Father, just draw the lost unto yourself. Draw them unto salvation. Father, I don't know what kind of decision needs to be made this morning, but I know that you do. Just lead and speak to each one of us this morning. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning, there's a decision you need to make, you come. If you need to come trust in Jesus, you come. If you need to come join this church, you come. If you need to come pray at this altar, you do so, or you pray where you're at. Just let the Lord just speak to you and, and, and help you to respond to this message. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me just invite all of us to spend a moment in prayer together. Let's, let's just pray.